Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Yira Kodesh, and I'm here today in Yerushalayim on a live show with you, as we always are, and we encourage you to call in. Uh, if you are in North America, if you're stuck in North America, and when I say that now, I really mean it because uh, the, the borders are closed uh, Borders are closed uh, all around the country, both uh, coming and going. So uh, there re- people are really uh, um, restricted from coming into the country at this point, except for some ex- uh, some extreme circumstances. Uh, if you happen to be in North America and you want to to voice, if you want to vent about uh, Israel policies that you feel are mistaken and what we're going to hopefully speak about amongst other things today, uh, you are welcome to call in and speak to us. Uh, the number in the U.S. is three zero one seven six eight. 4841. Again, that is 301-768-4841. If you are lucky enough to have made it under the wire, or if you've been here for a long time and you are in Eretz Yisrael in the Holy Land, then you can also call in and tell us about what you think. And that number would be 02 Israel Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman from Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello. It's been a while. We took uh, off last week. Uh, sorry about that, but um, hope you hope you enjoy today's show. Yes, and we have an exciting show for you, so please stay tuned. Um, we want to encourage you to go to Rabbi Lichtman's uh, website, which is at toratzion.com, toratzion.com. Uh, there you can find uh, a list of his books where you can purchase them and you can see all the uh, great things that he's doing. And also to go to my website, our organization is Bring Them Home, and you can go to our website at itstimetoleave.com, itstimetoleave.com. And over there you will find, uh, uh, amongst other things, a link to our YouTube channel, which we encourage you to go on and to make sure to subscribe and to press on notifications so you get all of the information as it is published. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then The Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date.
Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander, and I want to start off the show by reading a beautiful note that was sent to us. Um, it was sent to us uh, semi-anonymously, so I'm not going to read the name. Uh, but it was a note that definitely makes us feel that everything that we're doing here is worth it. We always say that if we're able to save one Jew, then it's all worth it. All the effort that we're putting in is worth it. And we got this message this past week. Shalom, Josh. My name is dot, dot, dot. And I have been a listener of yours also through INTR for a few years now. I wanted to thank you for sharing that interview you had recently with Rabbi Kadel about the Kehila he's working on in Afula. Baruch Hashem, we will be joining him and the rest of the other families this summer. And it's thanks to you for bringing this awareness about Aliyah and his Kehila to us listeners his community. I have not shared this publicly just yet, but wanted to personally thank you for all you are doing to bring those of us in Chutzlaretz, outside of Israel, home to Eretz Yisrael, Bahatzlacha. And uh, that definitely, like I said, brings a, brings is, is very special for us because we don't get much um, feedback, feedback to begin with. Yeah. And uh, if we get feedback, it's not always positive feedback. This is uh, definitely the most uh, positive thing that we can ever hope for. So we're very uh, thankful and we wish much uh, success to this uh, person and their family. And we hope that many, uh, many people follow their lead. Um, it's, import- it's important to remember that, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, what's it going to help if I do this or if I do that? If I say something, yeah, they're not going to listen anyway. It's always important. You have to say the, what is what you believe to be the truth. And, you know, God will, you know... Wherever it goes, whoever, you never know who you might one day influence. You know, what you said uh, about about um, the, uh, the uh, you know, if, it's, if only one person comes on Aliyah, it was worth it. So I say that about all the work that I've done in all my books. I've, I, I write it in my introductions and I say it, if only one person is influenced by these books, then it's all worth it, all my time. And trust me, a lot of time has been put in. It's all worth it to help one Jew come back to the land of Israel. Indeed. And and we're living in a very special time, in a very special place. And there are signs that uh, that those of us that uh, have that kind of sensitivity feel every day that are being sent us from the heavens. And uh, today, in particular, is a very special day. And for that, uh, for... Um, because today is Rosh Chodesh, today is the first of the month, the new moon, and, and for that reason, I'm going to have to leave early today from the show, and uh, Rabbi Lichtman is going to take over at the end. But I want you to, um, oh, I'm being told by, by my, my uh, studio over here <clears throat> to give out our email address, um, and, uh, and you can contact us if you have a story, a similar story, that you uh, or, or either positive or negative feedback, we like it all. Please uh, feel free to write me. Um, what is our? Do we have a, 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 a tomorrow? Do we have a uh, a show feed one or do we have a? I don't remember if we have one. that's a, well for for show. me for me. Yeah. You can always go on my website, which uh, Josh uh, introduces every beginning of every show. Um, that is uh, toratzion.com. So there, just go to uh, contact information, and you'll get my email address, and you can you can uh, send me an email. But there is there is there, we have we have yeah. a Gmail. Um, it's Israel Unplug 
israelunplug um, at gmail.com, or you can send it to info at israelnewstalkradio.com. Either way is fine, <clears throat> and uh, we will love to hear from, from all of our listeners. Um, and if, again, this is a live show, you're welcome to call in uh, to give your information, you know, to speak to us live. Now, I was saying that today is Rosh Chodesh. Today is the first of the month. <clears throat> and those months, the Jewish months, are uh, they're lunar. It's based on the lunar calendar. It's based on the moon. And uh, today it's based on a calendar, on, on a written calendar. And that calendar uh, works on, on averages, on averages exactly each month of what day the uh, first uh, moon, the, the new moon will be seen. And therefore, it's not 100% uh, accurate as it was in the times of the temple when there was actually testimony that was given by uh, people that would see the sliver of the new moon and they would run to the, to the high court here in Jerusalem and they would give over their testimony. They would be, they would be uh, investigated and interrogated to see whether they indeed saw the new moon um, and then the court would declare that it is a new month. Now, this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing because the months of our year, um, when the month begins, if it begins on one day or begins on another day, changes the whole calendar. It's going to change when we have, for example, our holiest day on Yom Kippur and when you would have to fast. It would affect when you would have Passover and when you would have to refrain from eating leaven products and, and, and have to eat matzah. All sorts of things revolve around the calendar, and therefore it's very important that we get the right days. And whatever the court declares is the right day, that is the day. And how did they signal that to the rest of the Jewish world? Because it was declared in the court here in Jerusalem, and in those days they didn't have WhatsApp or uh, FaceTime. <clears throat> so how were they able to get that message out to everyone? They uh, So the Mishnah in the Talmud it describes the process that after the testimony was accepted and the judges would declare that Mekudosh, Mekudosh, that this is a new month, they would signal a, a someone on the, uh, the adjacent uh, mountain that was known as the Mount of Olives, where I live, and they would light torches. They would light these torches, and the torches would be lit, and they would be waved around, and they would be seen from a far away mountain further to the northeast. And they would, in that further away mountain, they would light torches. And this would continue from mountaintop to mountaintop. It would go north and then to east and all the way into Babylon, where it, it would reach a city in Babylon, where it said, the, the Mishnah describes that and when they saw, that, saw this fire, this, the, the, the torches, everyone would go to their rooftops and they would light torches. And the whole city would look, I think it was Pambadisa, that the whole city would look like it was it was a huge bonfire. And that would be the signal to everybody that there is a new month that has been declared, and this is this is the uh, beginning of that month. So this has been pretty much neglected for thousands of years. There's a whole story why it was we switched to the calendar, but it, it was neglected for thousands of years. And there are a group of us that feel that it's necessary to go back and start to reenact these processes so we know because we hope that soon we will have a, a third temple here in jerusalem and we will have a supreme court a sanhedrin again here in jerusalem and we were going to have to go back to the to the original to the, to the way that the, the the foundations of our of our faith and in order to do so we need to know how to do that 
So we're reenacting this process. We started last month, and this month we're go is going to be the second time we're doing that. So I uh, just handed over yesterday a high-powered uh, flashlight, tactical flashlight, to someone in the old city near the Temple Mount. Um, they are going to reenact the uh, the acceptance of the testimony from witnesses that are going to see the new moon. They're going to signal me who was going to. I'm going to be standing on the Mount of Olives, prepared. And then I'm going to light these torches. I'm going to I'll, I'll send out pictures. If people want to look at my Facebook page or any of my social media, you'll see pictures, maybe some videos. Um, I'm going to light these torches and those torches are going to see be seen by other people on other mountains. They're going to continue. And we have I think last month we had almost a dozen different locations across the country. And I know that today there is someone in as far south as a lot that is going to be lighting and as far north as the Golan, the top of the Golan Heights by Syria, <clears throat> that's going to be lighting as well. So I don't know how many people we're going to have this month, but as this grows in popularity, uh, we are very, very excited to bring back this custom that has been lost to the Jewish people for thousands of years. Rabbi? Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm curious. We should really ask uh, some of the great uh, rabbis of, of our generation, uh, including maybe if next time you speak to our Rebbe, you'll ask him this. But, <clears throat> you know, in those days, there was no what's called light pollution. In other words, there were no other lights out. When, when it was nightfall, it was pitch black. And you could see a bonfire or a uh, torch on, a, on an adjacent mountain, even if that mountain was miles and miles away, because there's no other light. So if you're seeing that one little torch, you're going you're gonna to see it. Um, I, I am not so sure. I mean, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to reenact what we used to do. Uh, and I think uh, you're doing a great thing and, you know, you should continue, etc. But I, I'm just curious whether at the time of Mashiach, when we have the third temple, whether we're really going to continue doing that, or maybe we'll just send out a WhatsApp message. Because, you know, I, I assume if they had WhatsApp in those days, that's what they would have done. Because that's an the excellent whole, question. The whole point was getting out the, the message that, you know, it's a new month. So why does that have to be done by fire? That was the only way they could do it in those days. So I'm not 100% sure that it's the way it's going to be, but still. That is an excellent question. And, and actually, this is being done under the auspices of a great rabbi named uh, Rabbi Yoel Schwartz. Um, uh, and uh, I could tell you, that putting the, the rabbinic side of it uh, aside and speaking about the, the scientific part of it, I, I have actually suggested, and, and next month we hope to do this, that uh, we have something, a, a modern equivalent to the torch, which is a laser. And a laser can see, be seen much further and much brighter. And, and, uh, and it, it could be that it's even considered halachically fire. And uh, perhaps today we should be using lasers to send that signal from mountaintop to mountaintop, if that needs to be done that way. And uh, could be dangerous. So you have to be careful. We have to. Yes, we ha you have to definitely, definitely not for children. But uh, we are we are um, well trained in this and we have special uh, equipment and we're going to go to a break now, but we're going to be right back. Hi, 
everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Uh, so continuing the conversation that we were having about uh, reinstating the lighting of the torches in order to uh, let people know when Rosh Hodesh is. So, you know, I brought up the point that maybe it won't even be needed in, in the future. But but I think the point the point that we're trying to make is that, you know, we say it in our davening. We say, we say, please renew our days as as the days of old, as it used to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we want you know the days to be like you know without pl- in, in, uh, without plumbing indoor indoor plumbing, without electricity. Uh, no, that's not what we mean. But we mean that we want to reinstate the way the Jewish people should be, and that is a single nation in its land keeping the Torah, living together <clears throat> in harmony with each other. And, you know, this is just one little thing of, you know, trying to reinstate, uh, you know, things the way they used to be. It's, it's sort of like uh, the Machor the HaMikdash, this beautiful uh, place, uh, organization, I don't know what you want to call it. The in Temple, Temple Institute. Temple Institute, exactly, in Jerusalem, where they are building the various different utensils that are going to be used in the in the temple. You, uh, if anybody has visited Israel, the old city, they know that there is a replica of the uh, menorah, beautiful, large, large golden menorah. Now, you know, people people have asked me, like, you know, oh, what's the point? You know, isn't there supposed to be a a menorah coming down from the heaven? And isn't God gonna, you know, reinstall? Aren't we, aren't we going to, you know, find the old one? So the answer is, you know, I don't know. I really don't know whether these uh, utensils are actually going to be used. But I think the important thing is that God sees that we want badly for the reinstitution of our days as old. We want to come back. We want to be back in, in our land. And we want to keep all the laws of the Torah, not just the ones that we can keep in Chutzlar. It's outside the land of Israel. We want to go back to the way we're supposed to be. And and whether those utensils will be used or not, who cares? The point is God sees that we're doing everything in our power to reinstate to rebuild the temple. We know we can't, you know, just walk into the Temple Mount right now and uh, knock down uh, various different structures that are there and, and start rebuilding a temple. That's not going to go over so well today. We know that. But we can do whatever little bit we can do. And that's what I think this this initiative that Josh is talking about, um, about uh, lighting these, these uh, torches— whether it's going to be or not, it doesn't matter. The point is we're showing God we want to go back to the days of old. 
And part of that is living in Israel. There's no, there's no days of old. You know, there are, unfortunately, there are different, you know, sect, sectors of the Jewish people who, who yearn for the good old days of the shtetl, you know, back in Poland and back in Russia. And no, that's not what we're looking forward to. We don't want to be back there. That we, we had a very difficult time there. There was anti-Semitism. There was pogroms. That's not where we belong. We belong back in the land of Israel. That's what we should be yearning for, to go back to the days of living in the land of Israel and doing things the way they were done back then when we had a Sanhedrin, when we had Nevi'im prophets, when we had a temple, when we were the way we should be. And that's what, we, that's what I think it, it, it really what this initiative represents. I think that the the lesson is actually learned from uh, from a <clears throat> a story that is told over to us in the Bible in Tanakh, and the the story, along with the explanation that the Talmud gives, is a story of King David and King David, who decided after a number of years to move his capital, the capital of the the, the Jewish nation, from the <laughs> city of Hebron to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, when he got to to Jerusalem, he decided that he it wasn't right that he was living in such a fancy mansion here in Jerusalem. By the way, I always tell my kids that we're living you know more more better than kings lived in those days. We think of how the kings used to live in those days, but today anybody who has uh, has an indoor toilet and has a shower and has heat and 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 everything that we have light. Uh, we're living on a on a on a higher uh, quality of life than than the kings uh, could have lived in in olden days. But uh, King David, when he moved to Jerusalem, he said, "I'm living in a mansion, and it's not right that that the the Aron Abris, what represented God's presence in the world, the 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 Ark of the Covenant, is in a in a state of uh, it's in Yiriot. How do you say it's in it's in uh, it's being covered by it's like an attempt. It's like an it's attempt. In a tent, yeah. Exactly, it's in a tent. Why am I living in a, in, a, in a nice mansion and it's in a tent? And he says, okay, we have to build a temple. We have to build the first temple. And he's told uh, by prophecy by Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet, that comes to him and tells him that you are not going to be King David. You're not the one that's going to build the temple. We, it's very famous uh, saying, uh, teaching that his hands were bloodied because he was a warrior and therefore and the, and the temple is meant to be a house of peace. So he's not going to be the one that's going to be allowed to build the temple. Now, at that point, King, well, this is an incredible lesson because King David uh, clearly was a very busy king. He had a lot on his agenda. And he could have said, you know, God has just told me through this prophet that I'm not going to build a temple. So I can just wipe that off my, you know, check that off my my list and I can go on to other things. But that's not what he did. He continued to do whatever was in his power to build a temple. He started building the infrastructure, the Mishmaros. And his son, Shlomo Melech Solomon, took over and actually built the first temple. But we see that he, he did not give up and he continued to do whatever was in his power. And like Rabbi Lichtman just said, even though we can't just go to the Temple Mount right now and start building the temple, we have to do, as the lesson that we learned from King David, everything that is in our power to get the process moving. And now that we're here in the land of Israel, we have so many more opportunities to do these kind of things than we have ever had in our history, in our 2,000 years of exile. Yes, definitely. No doubt about it. Very nice. Thank you for uh, for reminding me of that source. That is, uh, that is a beautiful source for this. Definitely. So, 
So you you wanted to mention something about the connection between the, the new month, and right? Right. So yeah, exactly. So this whole idea, you know, sounds like it's beautiful, but you know, okay, we connected it a little bit to to, to Israel that this is the only place where you really can reinstate things of that nature because they happened in Israel and and this is a Jewish country. You know, I can't imagine trying to do that in uh, New York City. I don't think it would go over very well. Um, but besides that, there's a much, much deeper connection between the new month and the um, a- and the land of Israel. And that is, is a very famous Rambam, a statement by Maimonides in his Sefer HaMitzvot, in his book of the mitzvot, where he uh, enumerates the 613 mitzvot. And when he gets to this mitzvah, which is actually, by the way, everybody, in this week's parsha, it's not just that today's Rosh Chodesh, it's also that we are reading the parsha of Bo, we're in the week of the parsha of Bo, and that's where the the Torah statement of HaChodesh Zalachem Rosh Chodeshim, the mitzvah to establish a Jewish calendar. And um, the Rambam, Maimonides, makes an unbelievable uh, statement with regard to this, which just shows how, how unique and central the land of Israel is to the Jewish people. And I think we've spoken many times before about how the first commandment ever given to a Jew on an individual level was the commandment of Go to Eretz Yisrael. That was God's commandment to Avraham, our forefather, Lech Lecha, get up and go to the land of Israel. But there's also the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people as a whole is the mitzvah that we're talking about right now, the mitzvah of establishing a Jewish calendar. And this mitzvah is also very strongly connected to the land of Israel, because the Rambam says, and this is based on a Gemara, of course, that this whole institution of uh, of of fixing the calendar and you know accepting the witnesses and, and and seeing the new moon and all that can only be done in the land of Israel. And you say to yourself, why? What, what what does that have to do with the land of Israel? But we have a tradition. We have a tradition that Torah goes forth from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem, only from here. And therefore, for such an, uh, such an amazing and important thing, like Josh pointed out before, that to know what day Rosh Chodesh is, is a very significant part of our religion. Because if we don't know when the Rosh Chodesh starts, we also don't know when to keep, for example, this this month has Tu Bishvat, and then there's Purim, and then there's uh, Pesach, and every ha- every month, ha- well, most months have a holiday, and we have to know when that holiday falls out. So much so that the Rambam says, that if there would be a situation, God forbid, he says, God forbid that he should do such a thing, and I'll get back to that statement in a minute, if there would be such a situation where there'd be no Jews in the land of Israel, the Torah would become would be abrogated, that we simply would not be able to keep so much of our Torah. It would be considered the destruction of the Jewish people. That is what he says. I, I have to read you um, <clears throat> this statement. He says, let us suppose, for example, that there would be no Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. And then he says, 
parenthetically, God forbid that he should do such a thing, for he has promised not to destroy the remnants of the nation completely. That means from there, those words, you see the Rambam is understanding that if there would be no Jews in Eretz Israel, that would mean that would basically be the end of the Jewish people. And therefore, what would happen? Then, then all of our holidays would be, would be null, null and void. We wouldn't be able to keep our holidays. And what, what, what would be of the Jewish people, of the Jewish religion? So uh, maybe we'll pick up on this again after the break. So please don't go anywhere. Be, we'll be like right back. Yes, care. you're going to go. Okay, take care. Are you interested in transforming your life, drawing closer to the Creator, and uncovering the deeper meanings and hidden treasures in the Hebrew Bible? Then join me, Rav Yitzhak Michelson, and me, William Hall, on the Science of Kabbalah, where we are seeking to narrow the gap between what we understand of our physical and spiritual worlds. So make sure to tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Israel Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and uh, we're going to be discussing a few things from the Parsha in this last segment of ours for today. So I just want to finish up what I was saying before, uh, just the the significance of this Rambam, this statement of of Maimonides is just, cannot be overemphasized. First of all, you know, people say, People want to claim that Maimonides doesn't hold that it's a uh, com- that, that it's a biblical commandment in our days to live in the land of Israel. That might be true. It might not be true. That's a whole discussion of itself. But there's one thing for sure: Maimonides holds that living, having Jews living in the land of Israel, is so important that <clears throat> without it, it could be that the Jewish people, the Jewish religion would just totally disappear without Jews living in the land of Israel. It's so important uh, to, to the point where, um, you know, if you, if you really think about what the Rambam is saying, it's, it's, uh, it's actually mind-boggling. I want to just read to you uh, again what he said. He said, God forbid that he should do such a thing, for he has promised not to destroy the remnants of the nation completely, which implies that if Jews would not live in Eretz Israel, it would be tantamount to the destruction of the Jewish people. Uh, and the Chatam Sofer on this Rambam says, his words imply that if God forbid no Jews would remain, remain in the land of Israel, even though there are Jews living in Chutzlaretz, it would be considered the destruction of the Jewish nation. And the Khatam Sofer goes on to explain that, that so how does it work today? Because we don't have, we don't have a Beit Din, a Sanhedrin, a high Jewish court, uh, declaring the new month every month. So how is it, even in Israel, we don't have that. So how is it that we celebrate the holidays? And he explains that before the uh, final exile, uh, after this, by the destruction of the Second Temple, 
the rabbis understood what was happening and they understood that it was going to be a very long exile. So they established the calendar. That's why we have this calendar that's been used for close to 2000 years. And they already figured out it's based on a certain calculations, how to establish the new month. So it ends up that they really already 2000 years ago established it, but that won't help for today. So how does it work? It works that when there are Jews in the land of Israel and the way the Khatam Sofer says it could be farmers, simple farmers, simple uh, carpenters, people who just, you know, are not big Torah scholars. They simply are Jews who, who observe the holidays. When they look on the calendar, the Jewish calendar that all Jews in the world follow, when they look on the calendar and say, oh, today's Rosh Chodesh. Oh, in two weeks from now is going to be Pesach, let's say, right? They are the ones who, in effect, establish the the new month. By saying, by looking at the calendar and saying today's Rosh Chodesh, those few Jews, the way the Rosh Chatham Sofer says it is, even if there would be only 10 Jews, 10 Jews living in the land of Israel, and millions and millions of Jews living outside the land of Israel, with big yeshivas and big Torah scholars living outside the land of Israel, guess what? The only way that those big yeshivas and big uh, Torah scholars would be able to keep the holidays is because these 10 simple Jews who are just plowing the land and working their vineyards, they, when they look at their calendar and, and say, oh, it's Rosh Chodesh, they are in effect establishing the the holidays for the entire Jewish world. That's why the Raman says that if there wouldn't be any Jews in, in the land of Israel, there would be no way to establish the holidays. And, and our Torah, so much of our Torah would just fall by the wayside. God forbid, and as don't forget, the Raman said, don't worry, God promised that would never happen. God promised there would never be a time when there wouldn't be Jews in living, living in Israel. And by the way, historically, we know that that's true. We know that for the last, I don't know how many, the last 4,000 years, basically, ever since we entered the land of Israel with Joshua, um, there has been a continual Jewish presence in the land, except for 52 years. 52 years after the destruction of the first temple, there was absolutely no Jews in the land of Israel. There were barely any people either. The land was totally destroyed, totally desolate, and there were very few people at all in the land of Israel. And then after 52 years, Jews started coming back. And then and then about 18 years later is when is when Ezra and Nehemiah came back and rebuilt the second temple, etc. And during those 52 years, the only reason why we were able to establish holiday uh, the, the calendar is because there were still some people who got smicha, who got rabbinic, the true rabbinic ordination back in Israel. And they were still alive for those 52 years, so they were allowed to do it. Meaning, you either have to establish the holidays, the, the, the calendar in Israel, or you have to have, have received smicha, rabbinic ordination, true rabbinic ordination, in the land of Israel. And that was so that for those 52 years, 
the 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 Jewish calendar could continue to uh, to function, but ever since then, ever since the Second Temple, there's never been a time there haven't been Jews. There's always been handfuls of Jews in the land of Israel, and of course, we know in our days, thank God, millions and millions of Jews have returned to the land of Israel. So I want to share with you one more idea from the parsha, and that is. Um, about the plague of darkness. So there are different explanations of why God brought darkness upon the Egyptians. And um, Rashi brings one, and it's elaborated on in a Midrash, Midrash Tanhuma, that says as follows. Why darkness? And the, the Midrash answers, Blessed be the name of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, for he n- does not show favoritism. And he probes man's heart. There were wicked Jews who had Egyptian friends and who enjoyed honor and fortune in Egypt. You know, we we all think, we all picture in our minds the the bondage of Egypt being a terrible, terrible time where all the Jews were, were suffering day in and day out. Yes, there were definitely many, many Jews like that. But there were also wicked Jews who had Egyptian friends and who enjoyed honor and fortune in Egypt. They did not want to leave. They didn't want to leave Egypt. They wanted to stay there. They wanted to stay in Galut. They knew that Moshe was coming and and he wanted to redeem the people and they didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay where they were because they were comfortable in, in, in exile. So what did God do? He says, he said, if I smite them publicly and they die, the Egyptians will say, huh, just like we are suffering, so are they. Therefore, God brought darkness so that in the darkness he could kill all of those wicked Jews who did not want to leave, and and no one would know about it. You know, after the darkness, the Egyptians would just wake up and say, hmm, there's a lot less Jews here. So we know that the rabbis tell us there's different opinions, but let's take the one that's, uh, I think, the most famous, and that is that one, a fourth, sorry, four fifths of the Jewish people ended up dying during this plague of darkness. That's an amazing, amazing number. That's millions and millions of Jews died during that time. And it was all because they didn't want to leave Egypt, because they wanted to stay in Galut. And unfortunately, we see that today also. We see that there are Jews who are comfortable, and even though God is bringing about the salvation, the redemption, there are Jews who just want to, are comfortable. They don't want they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about leaving the comforts of their of their exilic existence, and they just want to stay where they are. And the lesson here is unfortunately a very strong one. That is, God doesn't like that. God, to the point where He wants to kill such Jews who don't want to leave, who don't want to be redeemed. And there's an amazing, amazing commentary on this midrash and on this whole concept, and that's by Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the great Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who says that if you really think about it, it's it's very strange because, yes, maybe these Jews didn't want to leave Egypt, but there were also the Jews who did leave Egypt were not on the highest of levels. Let's remember they were on the 49th level of of, of uh, defileness. And to the point where the angels, when they saw God splitting the sea and letting the Jews go through and the Egyptians be, be uh, drowned, the angels said, I don't understand, God. We don't understand, God. 
they are idol worshippers and they are idol worshippers. I mean, the Jews were also worshipping idols. So why those Jews made it out of Egypt, while the four-fifths who just didn't want to be redeemed, they had to be killed. What about the idol worshippers? Shouldn't they be killed also? So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsi answers, and he says, These evildoers wanted to prevent the others from leaving Egypt, for they felt that the time of redemption had not yet arrived, since they had a tradition that the bondage would last 400 years. These were actually very from Jews. They were very religious Jews. They were Jews who thought, we can't leave yet. We have a tradition that God said to Avram that we're going to be in bondage for 400 years. And it's not even close to that. It's only 210 years. How could we possibly leave? We have to stay. They had a, they had a, uh, a religious excuse not to want to leave. The problem is that Moshe Rabbeinu and the other Jewish leaders had told them that, no, God worked it out. 400 years starts from a different point, and, and, and this is when we have to leave. This is the redemption. And unfortunately, we are seeing the same thing today. People have all their calculations. They think that they know when God's going to redeem the Jewish people, and they feel that it's not yet time, and therefore we can't, we can't uh, push, push the issue too much. And the lesson here is that when we see God redeeming the Jewish people, we see so many signs coming true. We have to take those signs and go with it. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.